Hi, and welcome to the March 10th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida, and my desire is to help you grow in your understanding and enjoyment of God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today's reading is Deuteronomy chapter 10 through 12 and Mark chapter 12. Once again, that's Deuteronomy 10 through 12 and Mark chapter 12. Now, you know how this works. If you haven't read this yet, go on and hit pause, go back, read God's word, and then come back and uh, listen to what I've got to say about it. But if you've already read the text, let's get started. Okay, so let's uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, In verses 1 through 11, we see that God tells Moses to cut two more stone tablets. Uh, He he broke the first stone tablets uh, at the occasion of the uh, the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. Moses was so angry. In fact, Moses, it seems, has had the temperament uh, where maybe he was a little testy and maybe that explains why he killed the Egyptian and he hit the rock and he broke the tablets. You know, who, who knows how it, how it showed up. But anyway, he uh, had to cut two more tablets and uh, then he had to climb the mountain again and the Lord would once again write the Ten Commandments on those tablets. Uh, Moses, after that happened, uh, placed them in the ark that he had made. And then another thing that we learn in verses 1 through 11 is that Aaron died. Aaron died. And so now Aaron's son is going to be taking on the role of uh, the high priest. In verses 12 through 22, uh, we have the, uh, the command uh, that uh, the Lord placed upon the Israelites to... Uh, to love him, to fear him, and to worship him or serve him with all of their heart and soul. And in fact, in their obedience to the Lord, they were to do it because it was for their good. Now, one of the things I I want to let you know is that in order to keep these podcasts, you know, I try to keep below 30 minutes. A lot of times I don't do that. But in order to keep them short, I I can't really deal with a lot of this stuff and, and dig into it. But if you want to look or if you want to watch um, a lesson that I did actually tonight, well, I'm, I'm recording this on Wednesday night. So when you listen to this on Thursday, um, you know, it, it was the Wednesday night service. If you go to the, uh, the website, fbcpolkcity.net, or if you were to, uh, I believe actually it's, it's .org, or if you were to go to our Facebook page, uh, First Baptist Church, Polk City, and you were to uh, look at the the uh, service for uh, Wednesday night on March the 9th, uh, this is the text that I dug into. And it was interactive, and so as the congregation spoke, you probably can't really hear that too well, but uh, but I did deal with uh, these two verses. And so I just want to encourage you that if if you want to, if you you know have time to, you can go and look at that and watch uh, about a tw- about 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes tops I spent uh, looking at these two verses. The reason that uh, the Israelites were to fear the Lord and love him and worship and serve him, the reason is given and the reasons are given in verses 14 through 22. 
God said, well, one reason is, is, uh, you know, I'm the God of all gods. There's nobody like me. And so, yes, of course, follow me and do what I tell you. But also, he said, obey me. One of the other reasons that we read about is that he said, because I chose you. You belong to me. There wasn't anything special about you that caused me to choose you. I simply willed to choose you, and now you belong to me. Therefore, obey me. But also, uh, we uh, see in these verses that God said, I want you to fear me, to love me, and to worship and serve me, because if you do, I'm going to bless you, and if you don't, I'm going to punish you. And so we see clearly that there's motivation. So that's what Deuteronomy chapter 10 is all about. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, In verses 1 through 7, the Lord essentially said uh, that they needed to consider all of the good things that he had done, particularly on their behalf, and therefore, they would be motivated to love the Lord. You know, the, their love for the Lord was not just something they were to manufacture. It was to be in response to all of the things that the Lord had done to them. And what it means to love the Lord is to, of course, make our life about Him. Um, but also, there is that affectionate, there, there is that emotion I mean, imagine, you know, if I told my wife, hey, you know, I'm going to love you and I'm going to take the the standard biblical definition of love the way it's typically defined. And I told my wife, I'm going to take the biblical definition of love and I'm going to uh, put you first and I'm going to, you know, sacrifice for you, at least be willing to sacrifice for you and I'll do things for you, but don't expect me to have any feelings for you. You know, what do you think she would feel like? <laughs> um as I pointed out in this evening, and again, you're listening on Thursday, but as I shared in this evening, Wednesday's service, I shared that while the emotion of love, the affection, that, that emotion, while that should not be the pilot, and it is not what steers the ship, it should be there. You know, it should be there, at least periodically, it should be there. There, the, So the our love for God should be something that we at least periodically have within our heart, whatever love looks like for us, that that ought to be there. And so the Lord in verses 1 through 7 said, I just want you to consider all of the great things I've done. Now, he did all of those wonderful things for Israel. Friend, if you're saved, God has done many, many things for you, but ultimately he sent his son to die on the cross for you and gave you the ability to trust in Jesus for salvation. And then he made so many things true of you, and he says, in response to that, just love me. Um, It's not that God is any less God if he doesn't get loved. Technically, he doesn't need it. But God is a God of relationship, and he has invited us into relationship, which means, among many other things, to love him. Verses 18 through 25, uh, we see that uh, they were called, the Israelites were called, to obey God's commands so that they would be able to live in the land a very long time. And one of the things that we realize is that whenever... um, 98% of you that listen to this are in the United States of America. And one of the things that one of our founders mentioned, I believe it was James Madison, 
is that our Constitution was written primarily for a moral people. It is not fit for any other. Do you know why? Because the in the Constitution, Americans were able to be given so many freedoms. Why? Because Americans who were moral, and there were also many great awakenings, and there were revivals, spiritual revivals, um, th that Americans, by and large, by and large, um, they governed themselves. You know, each individual governed themselves. Therefore, you did not need to put laws on the books because generally people were just interested in living a good moral life and desiring to spend eternity with the Lord. But as society has become less Christian, it's not a surprise that as that has happened, that we also see crime skyrocketing and the kinds of, of crimes that are committed are becoming more heinous. And therefore, you have to put more look, laws on the books. Well, laws are intended for good, but uh, if we can live by the law ourselves without it having to be enforced, right? If, if we just do what the law says, then we're going to have a good society. But if we don't do what the law says, then all of a sudden you have to have law enforcement, you've got to have the judicial system and everything else, because uh, a, a society that does not uh, value, where individuals do not value uh, what is right, and then strive to live by what is right, that society is, is on the brink of, of anarchy and on the brink of collapse. And so that's what we see in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21. Uh, God is basically saying, I want you to abide by my laws. And if you do, then you're going to have a society where you'll last a long time. Your society will last a very long time. In fact, listen, in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21, <clears throat> the Lord says, Imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as signs on your hands and let them be a symbol on your foreheads, right? So God's basically saying, my laws, just put them all over the place so that you are constantly confronted with them so that you see them, therefore, you just have to will to obey them. Verse 19, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates so that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. God said, my laws are for your good. If you obey them individually, then you will make a society that will last a very long time. <clears throat> in verses 26 through 32, we actually see the blessings and the curse. And God um, said that if you obey me, I will bless you. I will bless you individually. I will bless you nationally. But God said, if you disobey me, he didn't just say, I will withhold blessings. He said, I will curse you. And so God said, this is for your good. Whenever we read God's word and study it, it is for our own good. And it's for the betterment of society that we actually comply with the laws that God has given us, relying upon his Holy Spirit to enable us to do it. Okay, I'll just briefly go over Deuteronomy chapter 24 because it's essentially just about worship. 
Um, in verses uh, 1 through 4, uh, God commanded them, destroy the Canaanite worship centers. Wherever they have their gods, their idols, their statutes, whatever it is, their groves, tear it down, burn it. In verses 5 through 7, God gives instruction about where they are to worship. God said that he was going to determine, or they were going to determine a location. Actually, he would. It would be Jerusalem eventually. But uh, the location would be determined at a later date as to where the Israelites would worship the Lord, and they were not to go to any other place. That was to be the place where the tabernacle and then eventually the temple would be. So there was going to be a location. In verses 8 through 14, they were instructed about when to worship when it would take place. In verses 15 through 28, there was instruction about what to offer in worship. So, I mean, this is all about worship. And then uh, as the chapter ends in verses 29 through 32, uh, they are once again, it comes full circle and it comes back to they, as the Israelites, are not to inquire about the gods that the Canaanites served in the land before the Israelites came in to take possession. They were not to do it. God said the Canaanites were evil. Their practices were detestable to the Lord. The Lord hated what they did. And one of the things that we read in verse 31 is they even burned their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. I can't even imagine the kind of evil, demonic heart that would take one's own child and take it to a fire and then throw your own child into the fire alive. Maybe they're bound. Maybe you've tied them up. And you hear them screaming. And they're looking at you with their eyes asking for help. You know, just pleading for help. And 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 somebody, the parent, just lets them stay in there. there. And the cries become more faint. They're not able to breathe because the fire is just taking all the oxygen out of the air. And then you smell the stench of your child burning. This is so demonic and evil. And God said, I don't want you to even inquire about what these people did and how they worshiped their gods. God said, I'm giving you the who, what, when, where, how, and why of worship. And you just listen to me and worship me the way that I tell you to. Don't you go after other people. Don't you listen and don't you focus on how it is that they worship. And friend, I would even tell you that, uh, you know, there are other religions there are other religions. There is, uh, you know, Islam. There's Buddhism. There's uh, Hinduism. There's all sorts of things, and especially the Eastern religions uh, have made their way into our society. And some of those things uh, are directly opposed to Christianity and the way God has told us to worship him. And yet some Christians kind of dabble in some of those things because maybe pragmatically it works, it calms them down or whatever else, it helps them to center or whatever. But I believe that this applies. This applies that, uh, you know, God has said, I want you to worship me the way that I tell you to don't you go looking after other religions, other gods, and trying to find out how they did what they did. Um, we're to take our cues from Scripture, and that's it. Okay, so Mark chapter 12. In verses uh, 1 through 12, we have Jesus' parable of the vineyard owner's son. Uh, the vineyard was the Israelites' 
the tenant, the the tenant farmers were the the religious leaders. The one who actually owned the vineyard was the father, and uh, the ones that uh, the the father sent to the vineyard to see how things were going were the Old Testament prophets. This this is just God uh, Jesus showing that uh, you know the Lord owned Israel; they belonged to Him, and we're reading about that in Deuteronomy, aren't we? about how they belong to the Lord. And yet Jesus now, many years later, is saying, you know, the Lord sent uh, some of his servants to the vineyard to check it out, and yet the tenant farmers abused them, persecuted them, killed some of them. And so eventually the owner of the vineyard sent his own son and said, surely they'll listen to my son. Well, he sent his son, and then they killed his son too. And so Jesus was building the case in a parable for why God would just why God is justified to be angry at the religious folks for rejecting him and so this this was a parable about God's justification for being upset and being angry uh, because uh, he had every right to believe that the tenant farmers, the religious folks, would take care of his vineyard, and yet uh, they were so abusive and only focused on themselves. In verses 13 through 17, we have a question about the tax. Um, verse 14, somebody asked him to test him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, I want you to know Jesus didn't say, oh my goodness, I've never thought of that. Uh, let, let, me, let me get back with you. No, Jesus didn't do that. You know why? Because I believe Jesus was a thinker. Uh, again, realize Jesus has always been and will always be fully God. But when he was here on this earth, he was also fully man. But he lived his life out on earth as fully man. His deity was in the background. I believe Jesus was living his life out as fully man. And when you go to Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, if, if Jesus was living his life out as fully God, then how could he grow in wisdom? He knows all things. But if he's, grow, if he's living his life out as a fully man, well, then he can grow in wisdom because he's got to study and he's got to learn. He's got to think about it and allow the Holy Spirit to make sense of it. I think Jesus, as fully man, was a thinker. And he was reading the scripture intently and studying it and reflecting on it and thinking about how it applied to all of these areas of life so that when somebody came to him and said, what, is the, what, what should we do? Should we pay taxes or not? Jesus took it to Scripture, uh, you know, um, and would always take it to Scripture. Here with this, he said, give me a coin, you know, and then he said, "What? whose inscription do you have on this? Well, it's Caesar's inscription. That's his picture on there. He said, well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. I don't think Jesus just came up with that on the fly. I think that he was a thinker, thinking about all of these things. Verses 18 through 27, we have the question of the resurrection the question of the resurrection. And the question was brought up by Sadducees. And one of the things I heard many years ago was that the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> and so they didn't believe. So they came up with a ridiculous scenario. They said, Jesus, there was a woman and she married a man. And uh, this man died. And so she married the man's brother. 
and uh, then he died. So she married the next brother, and he died. And she married the next brother, and he died. And finally, ultimately, she died. And they said in the resurrection, you know, after this is all over with, and we come to the other side that you believe in Jesus, whose wife will she be? Um, they were chuckling under their breath. This was a ridiculous scenario. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were just being silly with this, but they still wanted to put Jesus in a corner. But Jesus would not be put in a corner. In verse 24, listen, he said this. He said, isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus said, this is why you don't know the answer to that question, because you don't read your Bibles. <laughs> That's what he said. And so then he, he clarified, he said, you know, in the resurrection, people aren't married or given in marriage. And so there's something much greater than that. As, as much as I love my wife and as, and as convinced that I will not uh, forget the fact that I was married to Kim in this life, um, I do believe that there's something much, much better in heaven. Uh, that's what Jesus was pointing to. And then in verses 26 and 27, then he attacked their wrong belief about the resurrection with Scripture. So he answered the question, then he attacked their wrong belief. In verses 28 through 34, we have the question of the great commandment. And, and this was by a scribe. Apparently, he wasn't wanting to test Jesus. He was just so impressed with how Jesus was in control of this situation. They were trying to test him publicly, but Jesus wasn't backing down. He was he was on his game. And so this guy came up and uh, asked, you know, what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Jesus said the greatest commandments is to the vertical relationship, to love God. The next greatest commandment is the horizontal relationship. Love the people you come into contact with. And uh, when the scribe affirmed Jesus answered, when he said, wow, Jesus, you've answered rightly. There's no greater commandment than this. Jesus looked at him and said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What Jesus was saying was, is you are so close to being saved. So close to being saved. Verses 35 through 37, Jesus um, uh, the, the the question came up about uh, the Messiah's sonship, and, and Jesus actually went on the offense here. Uh, in verses 35 through 37, listen, listen to this. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he asked, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? Okay, how can the scribes teach that the Messiah is the son of David, that, that the Messiah is going to come as a descendant of David? In verse 36, David himself says by the Holy Spirit. So David was moved by the Holy Spirit when he wrote, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So the Lord, the Father, said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus uh, finished off with this statement. David himself, verse 37, David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be a son? <laughs> what Jesus is saying is, is you think that the Messiah was going to be someone who was only fully man, 
only fully man, that this would be a man that would come as a descendant of David. But Jesus is saying, when you look at David's understanding of the Messiah, David didn't believe that he was just going to be a mere man, but that he was going to be God in the flesh. Said, my Lord, uh, talking about his, his son, but yet he was talking about a descendant, and yet he was referring to him as the one who was in existence even as David wrote this. And so D J uh, Jesus was pointing to the scripture and saying, you know, y'all didn't get this. Y'all think the Messiah is just going to be a man. But David himself understood that the Messiah was going to be fully man, a descendant of his, and also God. Verses 38 through 40, uh, Jesus condemns hypocrisy. He condemned the scribes who appeared holy but were proud and abusive to others. And then I want you to listen to the last part of verse 40. These will receive harsher judgment. Some translations say these will receive the stricter judgment. Friend, I want you to know that there are degrees of blessing and rewards in heaven. There will be many that uh, that have many rewards, and there will be others that don't have hardly any rewards at all, but they will still be in heaven, but they just don't have all of the rewards because they didn't live their life for Jesus on this, on this earth. But Jesus also, in verse 40 and in many other places in Scripture, demonstrated that in hell there will be degrees of punishment. There will be those that suffer and those that there will be those that suffer so much more. And when Jesus is saying these will receive the harsher punishment, he's talking specifically about the religious folks who appeared holy, but they were abusing their position and abusing people. They were proud and they were abusive to others. Jesus said that they were supposed to be people who loved others, who cared for them, who taught them, who uh, led them who, for their benefit, for the benefit of, the, of the, the worshiper. But Jesus said these people, these people that have risen to positions of, of leadership are abusing their position of leadership, but yet they're trying to look holy. Jesus said they're going to get in serious trouble when they stand before me on the day of judgment. And then we get to verses 41 through 44, and you know this story of how Jesus was sitting and watching all of the rich people throw their money into the temple treasury, probably making it clang as loud as it would so that others could see the gifts that they were bringing. And, um, but then he saw a woman, a widow, who only put in two tiny coins, and it seemed like nothing compared to everybody else. And yet, verse 43, Jesus said, hey, come on over here. I got something to tell you. You, you come up close. Verse 43, summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus is not focused on how much. He's focused on how much compared to what we have. That's what he's looking for. And so uh, just because we don't have wealth doesn't mean that our gifts 
aren't cannot be something that God would absolutely celebrate and enjoy as long as we're faithfully giving and especially whenever we have a cause where there's a ministry or there's an individual that needs help and so we leverage our finances for the cause of Christ to help someone out either in their tangible needs or for ministry needs to get the gospel out especially when we are given proportionally to what we have heaven celebrates let's pray Lord Jesus uh, we come to you and one of the things Lord that stuck out to me as I read through Mark 12 was just the hypocrisy of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes in positions where they wanted to appear holy and they wanted others to look up to them and they, they were so stinking proud but their hearts were so far from you. Lord, those were the only people you really ever got upset at. A lot of times, Lord, it seems like that, that we, I, and, and others, whether in, we're positions of leader, in positions of spiritual leadership or, or whether we're just someone that's just trying to put on a front so that others would be impressed with our degree of holiness, but we know our heart is not in it or we know that there are some serious problems in our life. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of that hypocrisy, cause us to see how you viewed people that were that wanted to present something that was not true of their heart. Lord, help us to genuinely love you and to have a godly fear of you and to enjoy you and worship you and obey you and that it comes from our heart. Lord, you are worthy of no less. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of another episode and I just want to let you know of a little story, just a very brief story. And it's that uh, that I called up one of the one of the, the folks that's listening to this podcast uh, each each day, a guy named Paul Rulo, and I called him up uh, yesterday and said, Paul, I'm so sorry, I haven't I haven't talked with you in a little bit, and just wanted to see how you're doing, uh, see how Gladys is doing, and uh, I said, I, I'm just so sorry, I, I haven't called you in a while. And he said, Pastor, you know, it doesn't seem like that long. He said, I listen to you every single day. And so I'm so glad that uh, through this venue, through this uh, form of media, that it's a little bit more personal than writing blog posts. This, this is you choosing to invite me into your day. And I just want you to know, I um, do not take that for granted. And I want to continue to produce things that are beneficial to you so that you would, so that you would enjoy this. Cause I know that you're giving up your time in order to listen to this. And I just want to make it the best that I, I possibly can. I love y'all and I'm looking forward to spending time with you tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.